Hello and welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly podcast discussing issues of current relevance. I'm PJ George, your host for today. On December 27, 2023, the New York Times filed a lawsuit against OpenAI and its backer Microsoft, accusing them of copyright infringement. The NYT has alleged that OpenAI used thousands of its articles to train ChatGPT, a large language model, without permission or compensation. The lawsuit says that this has positioned ChatGPT as a competing source of information to the NYT, which has implications for the newspaper's business model. Should AI models be allowed to use copyrighted materials for training? To discuss this, we have with us today Cecilia Siniti, a San Francisco-based lawyer specializing in technology and startup companies, and Arul George Scarrier, an associate professor at the National Law School of India University. Welcome Cecilia and Arul. To uh, start off, I would uh, like to ask you uh, after the NYT filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against OpenAI and Microsoft for using its vast archive of journalistic content. Uh, to train ai models openai issued a statement that training ai models using publicly available internet materials is fair use as supported by long standing and widely accepted precedents in your opinion does the fair use doctrine cover the training of ai models on copyrighted material uh, cecilia i will come to you first on this yeah thank you it's it's great to be here i appreciate your having me so in terms of fair use in us law the fair use is section 107 of the copyright act and it's not a defense it's actually not infringement in the first place if your use is fair and the doctrine itself it codified a uh, law that had been in place before but essentially it's a four factor test and it's notoriously difficult to predict so you know being able to say whether it's fair use or not i can definitely apply those factors but openai has a good case but so does the new york times um there's four factors that go into the fair use analysis the purpose and character of the use in other words how is openai using that content the nature of the copyrighted work so is it highly creative of course new york times would say that it is the third factor is the amount and substantiality of the portion used so is openai using all of new york times content or only as much as they need to effectuate their use. And then fourth is what's the effect of the use on the market and value of the original. So does the fact that OpenAI is using New York Times content somehow decrease the market opportunities that OpenAI has? So those four factors, you know, there's dozens of cases um and precedent to look at for each of those. and you know they're each sort of squishy um i had a professor in law school that called fair use you know kind of a squishy liberal artsy test really it calls for the balancing of the factors it looks at the public good and you know openai's argument and and their reason for saying that it's supported by precedent is really the fact that or they would argue that it's transformative so you know the use of new york times's words to train a model it's not replacing the use of the new york times to read and what openai would cite would be cases about 
Google Books or cases about thumbnails or cases about scraping where things that don't replace the original were found to be transformative and therefore fair use. Thank you. Thank you, Cecilia, for that take. Uh, Arul, can you come in on this? Sure. Uh, thanks, um, um, George. So I generally agree with um, what Cecilia has already mentioned. And I think maybe the most important part of her remark is that maybe this is also one of those unique generative cases wherein I would say that both the parties are at strength. And the reason why I say this is the fact that unlike many of the other generative cases which we saw before, um, in this case, New York Times also managed to produce at least some evidences which show verbatim reproduction of the contents that were produced and owned by New York Times. Um, so if you look at the exhibits, what you are seeing is more or less exact reproduction of at least certain parts of the New York Times content. And if you contrast this with the earlier cases which we saw, things are very different actually. So there, in most of the instances, I think the plaintiffs were not able to show verbatim reproductions. And that makes the fair use analysis even tougher to predict. The other important thing which I also want to highlight in the specific fair use context is that at least some, again, some pieces of the exhibit show that if a particular user is directing the prompts in such a manner that yes, it wanted like the first paragraph of a New York Times article or the specific second paragraph of the New York Times article, A was actually giving that result to the end user. Again, would this be considered as a substitute for subscribing New York Times? Yes, that's something which the court might have to look at when they are generally dealing with this case. So these are the specific things which I would like to flag in the context of the New York Times case. But in general, I am also someone who takes the view that using of copyrighted or the use of copyrighted materials for the purpose of training should generally not be considered as infringement because that generally comes within the broad ambit of the uh, fair use exception. But here let me also add one line of caution because um, the US fair use analysis is pretty much broad in scope because there is no purpose specific limitation there. So as long as, as Cecilia was pointing out, as long as you can convince a court through those four factors or any other additional relevant factors, you might be able to convince a court that yes, this is fair use. But if you look at the Indian exception scenario, you will notice that we don't have a very broad exception like the fair use which we are seeing in the United States. So what we have is a fair dealing exception, which is complemented with a long list of enumerated exceptions. So within the enumerated exceptions, one of the unfortunate things is that we don't have a specific text and data mining exception. That means if a similar case happens in India, the only way we can justify that training purpose might be in terms of looking at the fair dealing exception. And there, my view is that the courts would have to take a very liberal interpretation of the purposes mentioned there if it wants to accommodate training. And ideally, 
Yes, they should be taking that. And there are also precedents from other parts of the globe, particularly Canada, wherein you can actually see that the courts have interpreted the purposes which are specifically mentioned under a similar fair dealing provision in a very liberal manner. So I just wanted to um, add those dimensions also to what uh, Cecilia was mentioning earlier. Thank you. Thank you, Arul, for that take. Now, I would like to get into the NYT case a bit more uh, in detail, uh, especially on its merits. Uh, in its lawsuit, the New York Times has argued that the generative AI models like ChatGPT affect their business model and also compromise their credibility in journalism. In your assessment, how solid are the arguments that the NYT has put forward in their complaint? Arul, I would like to come to this uh, first to you for this. Uh, so, again, that's a great question, uh, which is extremely difficult to answer. The main issue there would be, yes, would people substitute a subscription with, say, for example, the access to OpenAI or Bing Chat, whatever it might be. Um, to me, in most instances, users will not substitute a subscription of for New York Times with that of, say, access to um, OpenAI, um, this ChatGPT or Bing Chat. Uh, primarily for two reasons. One, there is a convenience factor. Um, the second is the authenticity dimension, right? Because even today, one of the biggest issues which we see and which is also interestingly highlighted in the New York Times um, litigation, the plane, is that hallucination is a common thing. So if you are specifically asking ChatGPT, even today, yes, it might hallucinate and give you results that might have nothing to do with New York Times. And they have actually cited some of the examples in this particular regard also. And if that's the case, and if users are aware of that dimension, to me, the substitution effect would be minimal. Yeah. And if that's the case, yeah, there may not be much impact. But having said this, I must also flag one thing. Um, in their submissions, New York Times have also pointed out that they are heavily relying on subscriptions. So if I recall correctly, they are saying that now they have around 10 million um, subscriptions and they want to like even take it to like 15 million by uh, 2027 or so. Um, and if they can argue through evidences, with the help of evidences that yes, there will be effects on substitution, the results might be different. But yes, it all depends on what kind of evidences New York Times might be able to produce in this particular regard. Thanks, Arul. Uh, Cecilia, can I come to you on this? Yeah, so one point that I would add to what uh, Arul explained is that intellectual property law, it it, it really is property law. And if you think of the opportunities that the New York Times content gives the New York Times, their position would be, look, you know, we want to be able to create our own LLM, you know, a, a chat bot where you can chat with the New York Times, for example, or talk and get wire cutters advice. That was some of the content that they cited. And, you know, they, unlike other copyright owners, there is a very robust market for New York Times content. They said in the complaint that 50 to 100 million people each week read their content. And where they put the paywall, you know, that's their decision to make. So if I'm the New York Times lawyers, I would absolutely be um, citing that fact. All right. Thank you. Thank you, uh, 
both for those uh, takes. Uh, I would like to slightly follow up on the same question uh, with another aspect of this. Is the current legal framework, both in the US or in the UK, uh, ready for this kind of uh, uh, AI training models or AI generated uh, content models? Is it, uh, do we have case laws that can deal with this? Uh, uh, Cecilia, can I come to you for this? Yeah, so fair use as a doctrine, it goes back all the way to 1841. Um, it literally, the, the sort of case that's known for coming up with the doctrine was about copying of writings of George Washington. So there was a, a biographer that owned that got the copyrights to George Washington papers. A future biographer copied 353 pages of them. And the court at the time came up with this balancing test that we still use. So, you know, lots of fun precedents we can look at. There was a case about Betamax, which was literally the technology behind the VCR. So it was kind of a predecessor to the VCR. And it went to the Supreme Court because at the time, the ability to record a program to tape something that was new. And um, basically Sony at the time, which was a big, uh, which was the uh, you know, maker of the device and Universal, which was a big uh, rights holder in that case of video sued. And it went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court found that there was a substantial non-infringing use. So there was a way to use this technology that was not infringing in this case. In that case, it was time shifting. So that's the kind of case that you know, the court in the Second Circuit, where the case was brought in New York, that's the kind of case that they'll look to. Uh, lots of cases about, you know, reverse engineering, cases about commentary or fan art. So there's lots of places that, that they can look um, in terms of precedent. That being said, it's very possible that there's a, a legislative solution that happened with the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which was basically a way for online providers to, to manage you know, infringing content on their platform. So Congress came out with that because they realized, okay, this is a new technology. Existing case law isn't going to give a really clear fr framework. And so that, that's, what, that's what happened. So very possible that happens here, but there's a, there's a, a, a large body of case law from which you know, courts could draw to make this decision. Thanks. Thanks, Cecilia. Arul? Uh, what about uh, Indian case law? What do we have uh, that is applicable here? Sure. Um, so, George, before I answer that, maybe can I also ask Cecilia one uh, follow-up question and then maybe I'll answer this. So that follow-up question is if you look at the New York Times case, one of the interesting um, claims which they make is that all the digital protection measures that were used by New York Times were also removed by um, these companies which are using the concerned materials for training. Do you think um, that would have any influence also on the fair use analysis in the United States? Yeah, so one of the rights of a rights holder is to control how their content is displayed. And so, you know, copyright management information and basically like who is the owner of particular content, stripping that is an additional claim. And so the way it shows up in this complaint is as another count, just another thing they've done wrong. 
but the fair use analysis would be would be quite similar um, because as I mentioned with fair use, um, it's not actually part of your copyright if the use is fair. So it's kind of a confusing doctrine point, but it's not you've done this crime and fair use is a defense. It's that you've done no crime because their copyright didn't extend that far. Great. Thanks for that clarification. So now coming to George's question. So if you look at the Indian situation, uh, we still haven't seen any specific litigations in the context of text and data mining. Um, but as I indicated earlier, if at all a litigation is coming up, we will have to bring it within the ambit of the fair dealing exception, which is provided under Section 52.1a of the Copyright Act. There, yes, a court will have to also take into consideration the broader objectives of that particular use. And maybe I would even say that the broader objectives of the copyright law need to be kept in mind while engaging in that fairness analysis. So as I indicated earlier, yes, if you look at the way the statute has framed it, it's very clear there are three categories of users specifically mentioned there. And unless and until you can fit into one of those categories, um, you are not able to use it. But then many scholars as well as courts from other jurisdictions, particularly the Canada, have shown that the courts can take and maybe at times they should be taking a liberal approach with regard to the purposes mentioned. So again, I mean, if I look into the specific issue of training um, related infringement claims, as one of the things which the court need to do is we could consider it as part of the broader research purpose. And if that's the case, there is still a strong way to argue. But in an ideal situation, what India should be doing if we think that, yes, allowing the use of copyrighted materials for training purposes is a valid one, there are two good options before us. One, have a broad text and data mining exception specifically inserted into the copyright statute. The other is also tinker with the fair dealing exception slightly and turn it into a fair use exception. And again, that's not something absolutely innovative. There are other jurisdictions that have actually done that. So some of the jurisdictions uh, which were earlier following the fair dealing exception have changed that into fair use exception, particularly to meet the objective of dealing with emerging technologies. So maybe, yes, one of these op two options, or maybe in the best case scenario, maybe we should go for both. Maybe we can shift to a fair use exception and also have a specific text and data mining exception to avoid any ambiguities in this regard. Thank you. Thank you, uh, both of you. Now, I would like to uh, go into something more specific about the output that AI generates itself and uh, the copyright uh, situation around it. We can we have been seeing several cases uh, being filed regarding uh, you know artists' uh, rights being infringed upon uh, based on the artwork or the text that the AI is generating. Uh, I would like to probe your uh, opinion on uh, these uh, on copyright around AI generated uh, material itself. Uh, uh, Cecilia, what uh, is your take on uh, copywriting AI-generated material? Yeah, so the 
Thus far, it seems that the Copyright Office has said that AI-generated material is not copyrightable. And that makes sense because the precedents really talk about a human needing to be involved. Funny enough, the case that is the best precedent on this was actually about a monkey. (laughs) And so there was basically a, a nature photographer who went out with gorillas, or I'm sorry, it was either gorillas or monkeys, but in any event, he goes out and he spends all this time setting up his camera perfectly to get a monkey to take a selfie. And it's just amazing because he got a monkey to take an amazing selfie. The monkey is just smiling. If you Google monkey selfie case, you'll find it. And it's just super fun. And this photographer, PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, which is an advocacy group, sued saying this photographer should not be making money off this monkey's work. And they won. And it basically was shown that this guy does not own the copyright and neither does a monkey. There is no copyright on this particular picture. Um, And that case stands for the proposition in copyright law that there must be an author. And that goes back to the U.S. Constitution. It says um, what gave rise to the copyrights is the Constitution says that Congress shall secure for authors and inventors the right to limited monopolies in their creations. And the court relied on the fact that an author was needed. And so here, you know, if you purely go into Gen AI, you know, who is the author? Is it a human? So the way that parties have gotten around this is Facebook basically, if you look at Facebook avatars, I think they did an avatar of Kylie Jenner and other celebrities, you know, they spend lots and lots of time and they, in their terms of use, talk about the production of these avatars requiring a lot of creative input and requiring humans. So here, you know, at what point, if I ask, you know, a gen AI for, to edit a paragraph of mine, it makes some edits and then I edit it again. At what point am I the author versus the AI? These are tough questions, but so far purely AI generated things have not um, the copyright office has indicated that they're not going to be um, going to get copyright. Thank you, Cecilia. Uh, Arul, what is the the Indian uh, perspective here? Sure. So, unlike the U.S. copyright position in this regard, wherein the courts as well as the U.S. copyright office have been more or less very consistent in saying that yes, there should be a human author to make a copyrightable work. Our copyright office has sadly messed up with this particular matter. And I say we messed up with this matter because there was one application that was filed and there it was a painting which apparently was generated by an A. And when they filed that particular application in the name of the A, it was initially rejected. But subsequently, when that particular lawyer who filed the application on behalf of A submitted it as a jointly ordered work, the Indian Copyright Office accepted it without deliberating on whether we had any discussions on what are the potential consequences and even the question of whether this is actually allowed under the copyright statute. So when the matter became controversy, the Copyright Office issued a notice to them saying that they are withdrawing the copyright registration. But even recently, when I was looking at the Copyright Office records, the file records relating to that application, it looks like that's still under registration. So that's a disappointing thing. 
If you go by the spirit and letter of Copyright Act 1957 in India, there is no way a non-human can be granted copyright protection. And I would here again maybe um, highlight one of the very important steps taken by the US Copyright Office that is um, when they recently issued the guidelines, they also categorically mentioned that the applicant should disclose whether A has been used and if used in what manner. So that kind of a disclosure mandate is very much necessary in today's context. And then depending on the disclosure, particularly like how you have used the generative A, for example, um, if the human played the most important role and if we can clearly see that the other one was just a tool in the process, maybe we can allow it. But yes, as a first step, maybe we should also demand disclosures in this regard. But as I am indicating, uh, we are not seeing enough discussions within India in this regard. We are just, I mean, I, many scholars are actually making the argument that we should just extend it to A. Again, I mean, there is no legal or theoretical justifications for extending copyright protection to works that are autonomously generated by A. Thank you, Arul. Uh, before we wind up, uh, just a general question to both of you on whether there is anything that else that you would like to add uh, on this issue of AI around, uh, or copyright around both AI training as well as AI-generated uh, uh, content. Anything that you would like to note in this occasion? Uh, Cecilia? Yes, I, I think... One of the most important things to, or, or that I take away from this situation and from past precedents in copyright is really that I'm an optimist. The, the market finds a way, right? So when Napster came out and peer-to-peer -peer file sharing came out, it was sort of clear that there needed to be a market solution where you could pay for music. Enter iTunes. So iTunes came after Napster. And it created a way for us to transact to buy songs for 99 cents or whatever the price is, and eventually paved the way for Spotify and Amazon Music and every other music service. And I think it will be similar here where, you know, as the technology grows and as people want to create fan art or want to be inspired by different things that are copyrighted, you could actually have a mechanic to pay the artist. I don't know exactly what that will be, but I, I think a market-based solution is is very likely here. Thank you, Cecilia. Arul, any words that you would like to? Sure. Out? So again, when we are dealing with these kinds of issues and when we talk with the policymakers, be it in India, be it in Europe or be it elsewhere, one of the most evident things is this fear of missing out. So if you talk about this ownership thing, the first thing which many people would tend to flag is, see, the Chinese courts are now allowing it. If we don't allow it, what will happen to our industry? I guess we should step away from that fear of missing out um, argument. And what we need to always ask is, yes, what is the primary purpose of granting copyright protection? And if that is promoting creativity, then yes, we need to fine tune our policies in such a manner that can ensure that broader objective. To me, 
yes the use of copyrighted materials for training purposes yes that should generally be considered as a fair use i am using that it in the broader sense here but at the same time we should also ensure that whoever is using it doesn't also proprietize the end results coming from that in other words yes if openai is using copyrighted materials we also want to ensure that they are not later seeking copyright protection over contents generated by the concerned a so i think that clarity is very much required and again i reemphasize whenever we are dealing with this yes we all need to always keep in mind what is a broader objective the copyright law is trying to achieve so uh thank you thank you both uh, cecilia and arul for joining us in this parlay discussion it has been a very productive uh, discussion and where we have gotten into both uh, the us uh, uh, case law as well as indian case law as well as uh, uh, two uh, perspectives from both uh, countries on uh, this issue of copyright around ai training as well as uh, ai generated material that i'm sure is going to be a current and active topic uh, particularly throughout the year in uh, 2024 so thank you both of you i'm sure that uh, the hindus readers would widely appreciate uh, what both of you have contributed in this discussion thank you thank you george thank you thank you george thank you arul this was wonderful likewise